Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. We're talking about aligning ourselves with the will of God. I can't think of anything more important than that. Aligning ourselves with the will of God. I thought last week's lesson was a week's lesson, but it was a lesson for probably six months. So we're going to go through some of the things the Lord laid on my heart, if that's okay with you. Do I have your permission to do that? Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Number one. It's God's will that we align ourselves with what His will is, what His purposes are for all of our lives. No better place to be in than in the will of God for our lives. No better place at all than that. Amen. Well, what's His place for us as a body of believers? That we experience greater intimacy with Him when we gather together as a church body. That we invite His presence, His power, His glory. And that we're aware of it, that we acknowledge it, and that we reverence it. Hallelujah. We reverence it. And then also that we bask in the glory of his presence, that we enjoy the presence of God. When you're with someone that you enjoy being in their presence, isn't that a wonderful thing? When you're with someone that maybe it's not so enjoyable to be in their presence, mm, not so much, right? We want to be certain that we're in his presence and we enjoy his presence. And also he enjoys being with us. Amen. And then we talked about how we want to exalt Jesus in this place. That's why we're here, to exalt Jesus, to lift him up, to make him known. Hallelujah. To give him all the praise he deserves for the sacrifice that he made for each and every one of us. And finally, we want to be certain that we prepare ourselves for his coming and his return. He's coming again. We've been saying this for 2,000 years, and that really leans itself towards our benefit, knowing that it's been 2,000 years, and so therefore, it's really close. Amen. We're not living in the last days. We're living in the last of the last days, and all things are coming together, and we know that certain things that have already taken place indicate to us that His return is imminent. Next, we talked about some things that uh, we need to do to align ourselves with the will of God. 1 Timothy 2, verse 4 gives us our first... Alignment. You ready for an alignment? Who will have all men to be saved? Notice who will have all men to be saved. What's the will of the Father? For all men to be saved. Are you saved? Are you saved? Okay. But now notice he didn't stop there. And. Everybody say and. And. So if someone asks you, are you saved? You say, yes, I'm saved. And. What do you mean by that? And I'm coming to the knowledge of the truth. See, it's not just to get saved, but to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And we said the word knowledge there in the Greek. Epignosko comes from the word gnosko. And what it means is knowledge that perfectly, perfectly unites the subject with the object. So you unite the two. It's not being book smart. For example, we talked about electricity. You could be book smart. You could be an electrician, electrical engineer. That's not what it means, being book smart. It means when you get zapped by electricity and it goes through your entire being, now you know electricity. Ever, ever touch an eel? Let's not go there. You get my point? It's not, I know the ingredients that's in that cake. No, it's when you take the cake and put it in your mouth and you taste it, now you know the cake. That's why the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's not knowing about him, it's tasting him. It's experiencing him. Gnosko, epignosko, the knowledge of the truth. So in other words, it becomes a reality in our lives. Not just that we could quote it, but that we know it, we experience it, we walk in the light of it. Okay, then we said in Acts 19 verse 2, here's a question the Apostle Paul asked some group of men who he thought were believers. He said unto them, 
Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Well, Paul, what do you mean by that? Because if they're believers, haven't they received the Holy Ghost like some people say today? No, that's why he asked the question. Just because they're saved doesn't mean they received the fullness of the Holy Ghost. And they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. So to align ourselves with the will of God, we should be saved. To align ourselves with the will of God, we should receive the Holy Ghost. John 7 also says the same thing, that they which believe on him should receive the Holy Ghost. So the question is, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And if you haven't, then you want to align yourself with the will of God. Why? Because the more we do, the further down the road he takes us in him. The more we experience the reality of his presence in our lives. Because we're letting him know, I'm surrendered. Well, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Ghost? Well, well, we could talk about that another time. But the point is, you want to receive the Holy Ghost as they did on the day of Pentecost. They received him. They spoke in tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. And you can't deny that. Both groups had the same experience in God. The Gentiles and the Jews. Okay, to continue our study, we go to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. And here, it's to also maintain a Spirit-filled life. So if you receive the Holy Ghost, that's a one-time event. I received the Holy Ghost. But then he said, be being filled. So that means that we can also have many infillings after we've received the Holy Ghost. So let's read it. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the, what the what? The will. We were talking about aligning ourselves with the will of God. What the will of the Lord is. Well, what is the will of the Lord? And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled in the Greek, be being filled with the Spirit. How? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, there's a one time infilling with the Holy Ghost. That's the baptism with the Holy Ghost. But there are many infillings after that. So I don't know about you and what world you live in, but the world I live in around me is in chaos. Utter darkness. And the devil and the world and the flesh all come against us from every direction. Is this not all true? Did the Apostle Paul say he had to keep his flesh under lest he become a reprobate? Yeah, he did say that, right? So in other words, as holy as he was, as righteous as he was, as empowered as he was by the Spirit, he had to keep his flesh under. Right? So we have three enemies. Three against one, you can say. The devil war in the flesh, and your man on the inside wants to do what's right, but all those three want you to do what is wrong. But I got three allies. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen. Lives on the inside of us. And I know who's greater. What about you? All right. So we need to maintain a spirit-filled life. Why? Because we live in a world that's in a fallen state, and we have all this opposition coming against us. So we have to fight this good fight of faith. After that, it's important to get baptized in water. Some people think that this is a small thing, but it's not. It's enormous. If you haven't been baptized in water, get baptized in water. Look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28 and verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Notice, this is a teaching ministry that they had. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Make disciples, discipline students. Teach them all things that I have commanded you to do. And then he says, and get them baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Well, when I first got saved, it's like, I was uh, a baby when I was baptized. And I had a question about that. Should I get baptized now that I've been saved? Well, I've already been baptized and all that. And the devil will just wreak havoc with your mind, making you think, well, it's okay. I've been baptized as a baby. No, no need for me to do it any further. But let me ask you a question. If that's the case, then if you follow the scriptures and the teaching... It means you have to repent, accept Christ, and be baptized in water. So when I was eight-day-old, seven-day-old baby, did I do those three things? Could I do those three things? Was it possible for me to do those three things? Absolutely not. Impossible. So it basically doesn't count at all. Jesus was 30 years old when he was baptized in water, but he was dedicated as a baby. Hannah dedicated Samuel as a baby. And we should practice, and we do practice here, baby dedication. You dedicate that child to the Lord. But when that child's at the age of accountability, they have the opportunity and the intelligence to make a decision to make Christ the Lord and Savior of their life. 
And then when they do that, that's their identification with Christ. They're letting the world... See, to us, maybe in our, our Western culture, it's not as, as uh, serious as in Eastern cultures. If you were a Jew and you accepted Christ and you got baptized in water to identify yourself with the family of God, the kingdom of God, you were excommunicated from Judaism and your life was hanging in the balance because your own family members would pursue you and have you killed if you didn't repent, recant, renounce the blood of Jesus and come back into Judaism. And in many other cases, it's the same way. So it's a huge matter when you make a decision to say, I'm being baptized in water and I'm letting the world know. I'm letting everybody know. We have a sign-up sheet that's out there in the narthex area of our church. If you haven't been baptized in water, and maybe you were as a baby, like I said, I'm not, I don't mean to be offensive, but it doesn't count. It meant nothing. You dedicate this child to the Lord, and then you get them baptized when they're at the age of accountability, when they can say, I make a decision, a conscious, intelligent decision to follow Jesus. And I'm giving him my heart. I'm surrendering to him my life. I'm denying myself to take up my cross and follow him all the days of my life. When you go up under that water, you're dead to self. When you come up out of that water, you're alive to Christ. And what you're telling everybody, I'm living for him and not for myself any longer or anybody else. I'm living for Jesus. Next, and this is the biggie today, okay? Sanctification. I've got three different translations of these verses here in 1 Thessalonians. So let's kind of take them one at a time and read them because they all kind of say something just a little bit different in each one. But I want to see how important this is. You know what? Before we put them up, I'm going to make a statement before we put them up. How many of you know when, there, when it comes to every, probably every doctrine that we believe in in the Bible, there's a ditch on one side and a ditch on the other side? Okay. There's the straight and narrow. A ditch to the left and a ditch to the right. Okay? And we want to avoid the ditches. When it comes to sanctification there and salvation, there's this ditch. Let's call this the middle of the road. The straight and narrow. Straight is the gate. Narrow is the gate. Straight is the way. Narrow is the gate, right? That leads to life. So right over here, you're all legalists. Legalism. This is the legalistic group on this side here. Okay, from this side here, libertarianism. You're a libertarian on this side. Okay, but right here, there's nobody there. Well, we got the group back there. Okay, they are walking on the straight and narrow. So there, in other words, here's the straight and narrow. And to the left, you have this perspective. On the right, you have that perspective. Over here, what they're believing is this. You get saved and... You have to keep the law. To be saved, you give your heart to Jesus, but you have to keep the law. And if you don't keep the law, then really you're not fully saved. And that's what these Judaizers were trying to do, undermine the teaching of Paul, to get them to live under the rule of legalism once again. How many know that's not true? We don't get saved with Jesus and anything. For by grace are you saved through faith, right? That's it. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So there's nothing you and I can do to earn salvation. Is that true? Absolutely true. But you see, the, the waters get muddy and cloudy because of this. Over here, libertarians believe in extreme grace, excessive grace, extreme grace, we got hit hard with it not too many years ago. I think it's kind of uh, tailoring off right now. This extreme grace teaching is so appealing. It sounds so wonderful. All my sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future. They're all forgiven. My position is they're provided for. Past, present, and future. They've been provided for. Okay, so let's keep that thought in mind. So this extreme grace teaching has caused people to think that, well, it doesn't matter then how I live. Because you see, all my sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. 
<clears throat> so it makes the Christian life an easy life to live. I don't have to do anything. Nothing. Doesn't matter what I do. If I go to church, if I don't go to church, if I pray, if I don't pray, if I read my Bible, if I don't read my Bible, it doesn't really matter. Um, whether I do this, that, or the other thing, it doesn't matter. I was walking to a Bible bookstore one day. This was in Youngstown, Ohio, years ago. And when I went to that Bible bookstore, this fellow who was the clerk behind waiting on me, I picked up a few books that I wanted to. They're kind of rare right now, aren't they? With all the internet and all that stuff. Bible bookstores aren't like they used to be. So he says, he saw some of my books. He goes, I got a handle on grace now. I'm just so liberated. I said, really? Libertarianism? I'm so liberated. I said, well, wonderful. What's your take on grace? My sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. So by the grace of God, it's all done for me. And he went on to say, so it doesn't matter how I live anymore. It doesn't matter if I commit adultery. It doesn't matter if I commit murder. It doesn't matter if I rob a bank. It doesn't matter if I lie, cheat, steal. And the list went on and on and on and on, bear false witness and all that. And I said, oh, that's your take on the gospel message? That you've got this liberty? I read somewhere where Paul said, don't let your liberty be used as a license to sin. Did you ever read that? Mm -hmm. Right. So we got on this side, this extreme teaching about grace that says that grace has got me covered past, present, and future. Actually went on to even teach that you don't have to confess your sin in 1 John 1, 9, which doesn't apply to believers, which I beg to differ. The first chapter does belong to believers. But anyhow, so you got this group on that side, you got that group on that side, and my goodness, Jesus said, few there be that find this way. Didn't he say that? Few there be that find it? Here's the point. What does the grace of God teach us? Titus tells us it teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. Right? So let's read these verses now. Look at these verses. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God. See, now that you're saved, you ought to walk a certain way and please God. So ye would abound more and more, so that you would grow more and more in Christ. This is the commandment we gave you by the Lord Jesus. That's a pretty, I'd say he's qualified. For this is the what? We're talking a lot about aligning ourselves with the will of God, right? For this is the will of God, even your what? Sanctification, Sanctification means to be set apart for a holy purpose. That you, sh you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, his body, in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified, for God has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto what? Holiness. Holiness. Okay, so down this stretch of the road here, the straight and narrow, we understand this. We're not saved by works, and we can't have the attitude that it doesn't matter how I live. Because the Bible teaches that God called me to deny God ungodliness and worldly lust and to live on this straight and narrow road, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Look at the next translation. I think this is the Amplified. Furthermore, brethren, we beg and admonish you in virtue of our union with the Lord Jesus that you follow the instructions which you learned from us about how you ought to walk so as to please and gratify God as indeed you are doing, and that you do e so even more and more abundantly, attaining yet greater perfection in living this life. For you know what charges and precepts we gave you on the authority and by the inspiration of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, that you should be consecrated, separated, and set apart for pure and holy living, that you should abstain and shrink from all sexual vice, that each of you should, sh should know how to possess, control, manage his own body in consecration, purity, separated from things profane, and honor, not to be used in the passion of lust like the heathen who are ignorant of the true God and have no knowledge of his will. That no man transgress and overreach his brother and defraud him in this matter or defraud his brother in business. For the Lord is the avenger in all these things 
as we have already warned you solemnly and told you plainly. For God has not called us to impurity, but to consecration, to dedicate ourselves to the most thorough purity. Wow. Look at the next one. This is from the New Living Translation of the Bible. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God, as we have taught you. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. God's will is for you to be holy, to stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lust, pa lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. So now what we see here is, no, we're not, we're not legalists. We don't use works to get saved, but we're not libertarians either. We don't just live the way we want to live. That our call is to walk down the straight and narrow and see to it that we set apart our bodies for the use of God. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 12 says our reasonable service is to do what? Present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. In other words, to live in such a way so as to please God in our conduct, our character, our attitudes, and just the way we live. Okay. Now, look at first, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And as we enter this new year, we're wanting to do what Paul said about even going further and further and further and becoming more Christ-like and less self-world devil-like. Flesh, flesh-like. Okay. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. And all who belong to the Lord must must turn away from evil. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach and patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants or wills. In the King James, it says you're taken captive by him at his will. Did you hear that? Taken captive by him at his will. Do you know why the devil wants people, especially believers, to get into strife, division, and all that? Because he could take you captive at his will. Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Why? Neither give place to the devil. You see, we want God's best. But to get God's best, we have to recognize the instructions. What he's told us to do. You say, but I get angry. I'm Italian. <laughs> There's no excuse for getting angry. Whether you're Irish, Italian, or whoever, whatever you may be. Whatever your ethnicity is, it doesn't really matter what you are. You can get angry because God gets angry. You can be jealous because God's jealous. But you know, his jealousy is a healthy jealousy. His anger is a, is a healthy anger. His wrath is a healthy wrath. Right. So it's important that we recognize he could be angry, but sin not. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. You could be jealous with a righteous and godly jealousy. Also, he doesn't want us to give ourselves to the world, the devil, or the flesh. So in these scriptures, what we see is this. Sanctification is the will of God for our lives. And we are to line ourselves up with his will. And what is his will? We conduct ourselves in such a way so as to honor God. Now, you can't be perfect as long as you're living in the flesh you're living in right now. You realize that? I know that. You know that. We all know that. But that doesn't mean we just throw in the towel and just say, well, I can't do it. So I'm just going to live the way I want to live because, you know, I'm a libertarian. God's got me covered. Really? Is that what the Bible teaches? And we're going to see that's not what the Bible teaches. It teaches us to deny worldly lusts 
and live godly, holy, and righteous lives here in the earth. And then continue to pursue godly living until we're changed and transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. I'll be honest with you right now. People would rather hear a wonderful message on faith and prosperity than to hear a message like this. But you know what? What's going to get you to be blessed is going to be hearing this and, uh, and aligning with it. And then you're going to position yourself to have your faith work. Okay. Now, I'm going to point out these couple of scriptures here first. But also I want to introduce to you a book called Go and Sin No More by Michael L. Brown. A call to holiness. Dr. Michael Brown. Anybody hear of him? Some of you have Dr. Dr. Brown. And this book is dedicated to uh, calling believers to live a holy life before God. Notice John 5, 14 and also 8, 10 and 11. So let's read these verses first. After Jesus findeth him in the temple, this is a man that was healed. He said to him, behold, thou art made whole. And we, we rejoice in that, right? Sin no more. Let those words reverberate. Sin no more. Lest a worse thing come unto thee. Wait, did he really mean that? Sin no more? Wait, never sin again. Sin no more. Can you do that? Sin no more? Hmm. Lest the worst thing come on you? He knows the flesh we're living in. He knows what we're going through. He knows the challenges that you face living in a physical body that's under, you know, the penalty of sin. Now, spiritually, we're not. We've been delivered and set free. But this flesh of ours gives us problems, doesn't it? So he wasn't saying that you'll never, ever sin again. But you're living with the mindset that God is saying to me, he doesn't want me to sin. And he doesn't want me to play with sin. Look at the other two verses in John chapter 8. 10 and 11. When Jesus had lifted him up himself and saw none but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. So what he's saying is the attitude that we should have is, I don't want to sin. And he's telling this woman, he's told that guy, look, sin can be a problem. Sin can affect you in a, in a very bad way. Sin can open up the door to evil in a person's life. We've talked about people that are bitter, that don't get healed. They wonder why they don't get healed. I'm a wonderful Christian, but they were bitter in their heart and no one knew about it. And we've talked about that before. So the point is this. We should live with the attitude that it's not that I could just sit back and just say, I'll live the way I want to live, do what I want to do. It doesn't really matter because my sins are already forgiven, past, present, and future. No, they're provided for. And so when we sin, we are to confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can see that, right? Okay, so here, in his book, Go and Sin No More, he listed about 20 things, 20 things, reasons why a believer should be against sin. And remember this, how does faith come? Hearing and hearing how? By the word of God. So who has a right to define what sin is? Three of you knew. <laughs> who has a right to define what, God, what, what sin is? And did you notice he said whatever is not a faith is what? What? Whatever is not a faith is sin? So if you didn't do it in faith, what is it? Sin. Oh my goodness. Wow. Where does that leave all of us? Just with an attitude that says, I want to serve God. I want to live for God. I want to see to it that I do everything I possibly can. I'm not doing it to get saved. I'm doing it to please God. And not to give my control over to the devil because sin has no dominion over us because Jesus broke the power of sin from our lives, from off our lives, right? So someone thinks, I just can't, I just can't, I just can't. Yes, you can. You can't in yourself, but you can when you yield to God. You can, make, you can do it. You can make it if you enlist his help in your life. So he listed some of these things. I'm just going to share these with us real quick. Notice number one, sin, a reason not to sin. Sin doesn't satisfy. There is an empty hole in the heart of every man looking for fulfillment. That person will reach out to, to be fulfilled and to fulfill that person's whatever need might be, they'll reach out to different things. 
whatever they might be. Well, look at Ezekiel chapter 16 from the Amplified Bible. Sin doesn't satisfy. You played the harlot also with the Assyrians because you were unsatiable. Yes, you played the harlot with them, and yet you were not satisfied. Do you know sin doesn't satisfy? Oh, maybe for the moment, you know, is uh, exciting or whatever, but it doesn't last very long. Remember, Hebrews talks about Moses refused to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So there is a pleasure to sin for a season, but it's not long lasting because the desires of the flesh are insatiable. They mean they can be, never be satisfied. It remind, I'm going to date myself, but it reminds me of that Lay's Chips commercial. Brother. You can't eat just one. Right? Remember that one? You can't eat just one. Because once you taste it, you want another one. Right? And then another one. That's why at the mall they have these people positioned out there in the, in the food court with a little taste of whatever their item might be. Because they know once you get that taste in your mouth, you're coming back for more. Right? They, we know the game. We know what they're doing. Sin's the same way. You taste it and guess what? Tastes pretty good for the moment. And then there's the guilt, the condemnation, and the list goes on and on. But then there's the desire for more. See, so he's saying keep the door closed so you don't get that. Number two, it leads to more sin. Look at Proverbs chapter 5, verse 22. It leads to more sin. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. Sin will hold us in that pattern and just take us captive. So it leads to more. Look at what, uh, here in John 8, look at what it says. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. See, the ropes are there holding you back. You're serving sin. And the servant abides not in the house forever, but the son abides forever. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. There's one way to be free from the power of sin, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? You see, nothing else will satisfy, but the blood of Jesus satisfies. It'll lead to worse sin. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 25. It leads to worse sin. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. When I was, well, maybe about 14, 15, could have even been 13, don't remember the exact time. I had a friend who lived right next door. He's no longer in this, in this realm of, of living. Bill, he's, I was involved in playing guitar and also in athletics. I played football, et cetera, et cetera. I was always health conscious. I was always lifting weights and everything like that. Okay. He says, try this cigarette. I said, why would I want to do that? He says, you'll love it. I said, Joey, leave me alone. <laughs> don't bother me with, with that. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not into that. Well, he would go on and on and on and on and on. Finally, one day I said, oh, my goodness, give me a puff. I took a puff and I gagged. <laughs> and I said, what? <laughs> why do you do this? He goes, hey, it takes some time, but you'll get accustomed to it. I said, why would I want to, to get accustomed to it? I get, a, get accustomed to something that causes me to gag, yuck, and I should just keep on doing it? Well, how many know it starts with a puff, a cigarette, it turns into pot, uppers, downers, LSD, speed, and heroin? See, how'd you know that? Not by experience, I'll tell you that right now. I can read. <laughs> it starts here and it ends up there. It starts small, then it ends up being something big. Can you see that? Yes. So something worse happens along the way. And the devil knows that, so it starts small. Look at the next one. Sin and slaves. Deuteronomy 28, 47, 48. Because you serve not the Lord your God with joyfulness and gl with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies with the, which the Lord shall sin against thee in hunger and in thirst, and in nakedness, and in want of all things, and he shall put a yoke of iron upon your neck until, you have, until he has destroyed thee. Whoa. 
Did you see that? So serving the Lord is freedom, gives freedom. Serving the enemy produces a yoke of iron around the neck until you're destroyed. So the ultimate end of sin is what? Total destruction. Look at the next one. It degrades and humiliates. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 1. Dead flies cause the ointment of the perfumer to putrefy and send forth a vile odor. So does a little folly in him who is valued for wisdom outweigh wisdom and honor. What's he saying? You can be a politician, a preacher, a sports figure. You could be an educator, whatever your profession might be. But you know what? All you have to do is get involved in something like this and what takes place, what happens. Which is why they try to get politicians and dig up the dirt from their earlier days of living. To putrefy, to make their name stink. So what's the best advice to take? Young person, stay away from it. Don't get involved in it. Because it humiliates and degrades no matter who you are or what your profession might be. Six, it steals joy. Proverbs 18, 14, look what it says. The strong spirit of a man sustains him in bodily pain or trouble, but a weak and broken spirit who can raise up or bear. You know as well as I do, if you're really conscious of God, when you sin, you miss the mark, there's guilt, there's condemnation. Am I correct? If you're, if you're at all sincere with God, if a conscience toward God, when you miss the mark, when you do something wrong, then there's this level of guilt that comes and condemnation that comes. Really, it's not condemnation if you're a believer, it's conviction. See, conviction is a good thing. When we miss the mark and do something wrong, conviction is a good thing, not a bad thing. Pain, believe it or not, can be a good thing in your body telling you something is wrong. You need to get that thing taken care of, looked at or whatever. Right. Gets you on the right track. Nip it in the bud, so to speak. It's the same way with conviction. But the devil will bring condemnation and make you or point out to you your shortcomings, your faults, your failures and all that. Why? Because he wants you to lose your joy. The joy of the Lord is our what? A mere heart does good like a what? He wants to take away your strength and your medicine. Don't take away my medicine. My medicine is what? The joy of the Lord is my strength. A merry heart does good like a medicine. So we, we need to walk in, live in the joy of the Lord, not in guilt and condemnation for the rest of our lives. And so what? What we do is we walk away from it and just say it's not worth it. Praise God. Look at the next one. It steals our confidence. First John. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but indeed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts. Notice, assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Hallelujah. When you're walking in harmony with the will of God for your life and you're not giving over to sin and sinful pleasures and all that, you're confident before God. But did you notice if you miss the mark, it's kind of a shying away. What did Adam and Eve do when they sinned in the garden? God came walking down in the cool of the day. What happened? They hid themselves because they were ashamed. Right? And that's what it does. You know. So, once again, God's on our side. So, the greater one lives in us. Look at the next one. The wages of sin is dead. Uh-oh. Does that apply to a believer? Hmm. I don't know. Let's read it and see. Be not deceived. Whoa, he starts right there. Don't be misled. Don't be deceived by the devil. God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. He that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap. Reap what? Anyone want to know what corruption is? I don't think it's anything good. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap what? Oh, now we're talking about the law of sowing and reaping. What you sow, you reap. So in other words, let's just say you become, I know there's this question, once saved, always saved. We're not talking about once saved, always saved. We're talking about sin. We're talking about the wages of sin being what? Death. So does someone want to play with their salvation by thinking that I could live a lifestyle of sin, dishonor God, follow my fleshly desires, and continue in that pattern as a habitual thing and expect to reap everlasting life? I live my life on earth in rebellion against God, even though I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I'm living in rebellion against God, living the way I want to live, doing what I want to do, acting the way I want to act, etc., 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 not even doing anything to control my flesh. So I live apart from God while I'm here on earth and I expect to be with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb? Hmm. Something to think about. Wow. Well, I thought once saved, you know what? I believe in once saved, always saved. Because I believe once you get saved and you walk with God, you'll be saved. But I'll tell you this. Don't play with sin and then say, well, I don't know, I'm okay. You better think it through. This preaching okay to you? It's preparing us for the glory. Look at number nine, and we'll close here in a moment. 
God will punish sinners in this life and the world to come. Matthew 8. Look at, look at what it says. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. Said to them that followed, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say to you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom, they'll have the best seats. But the children of the, of the kingdom will have the best rewards. The children of the who? Of the what? Shall be cast where? In the outer darkness, there shall be rejoicing and teeth cleaning. There shall be what? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Whoa. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way as thou hast believed, so be done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. God will punish. Look it. Just because they're a Jew and he's children of the kingdom doesn't mean they're going to make it. It's what they deal, do with believing in him and then also living a life that says, you know, I'm, I'm, you're never going to be perfect. I'm never going to be perfect. But you know what? I'm setting my face like a flint to please God with my life. And what does that mean? To abstain from anything that he hates. You know, the Bible says we're to abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good abhor an awful word we, in other words this is ee, my god i don't want anything to do with you whatsoever and cleave weld yourself to weld yourself to something that is good that should be our attitude guess what you live like that once saved always saved number 10 sin hurts here it is we're going to close with these powerful statements sin hurts our lord ezekiel 16 16 through 23 there's a lot that's said here in this but i want you to see this from the new living translation you used the lovely things I gave you to make shrines for idols. Where you played the prostitute. Unbelievable. How could such a thing ever happen? You took the very jewels and gold and silver ornaments I had given you. He's speaking to the children of Israel. And made statutes of men and worshipped them. This is adultery against me. You used the beautifully embroidered clothes I gave you to dress your idols. Then you used my special oil and my incense to worship them. Imagine it. You set before them a as a sacrifice the choice flour, olive oil, and the honey I had given you, says the Sovereign Lord. Then you took your sons and daughters, the children you had born to me, and sacrificed them to your gods. I don't know what that says about abortion. Was your prostitution not enough? Must you also slaughter my children by sacrificing them to idols? In all your years... Well, what's the idol? Self. Abortion is nothing but an idol sacrificing to an idol of self. Must you slaughter my children by sacrificing them to idols? In all your years of adultery and detestable sin, you have not once remembered the days long ago when you lay naked in a field, kicking about in your own blood. What sorrow awaits you, says the Sovereign Lord, in addition to all your other wickedness. Days long ago when you lay naked in the field, all your other wickedness. So, I don't think God's pleased with sin, do you? And I don't think our attitude should be like the libertarian that says it doesn't matter how I live. Do you? Because it does matter how we live. Now, I believe God is merciful enough and gracious enough that, you know what, even in your sin, he'll remove his hand so that you repent and come back because he knows it will take you to destruction. How can I prove that? 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This man was in a, committing fornication by living with his stepmother while the father was still alive. And Paul says, I've already judged in this matter. Turn that man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh because his flesh is going to take him straight to hell. He says, so that his spirit will be saved in the day of the Lord. Once again, I believe in one saved, always saved if you walk with God. But you start living a life like that, a lifestyle like that. And now don't give me this. Well, they were never saved in the first place. That's a cop out. Paul said, my flesh will make me a reprobate. Was he saved? Can you yield to your flesh if you want to? Sure you can. We all can. And especially with that kind of teaching that says extreme grace just means it's all forgiven. So why does, should I put forth any effort? Sin hurts our Lord. Sin hurts the sinner. Look at Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 10, New Living Translation. Sin hurts the sinner. It's coming up. 
Galatians chapter, uh, Genesis, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 4. Did I say Galatians? I had a G on my mind. <laughs> sorry, brother. <laughs> Thanks. But the Lord said, who said? One of your favorite preachers on TV said? Who said? Uh, did I say? Who said? What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out unto me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. Sin hurts the sinner. It should say it this way, the one who sins. Because see, if you're a Christian, you're no longer a sinner, you're a saint. You understand that? You're a saint. But you don't live a lifestyle of sin, do you? You don't revel in it. You don't live in that constantly, habitually. Mm -mm. Now, uh, finally, you ready for this? Brace yourself. Sin makes light of the blood of Jesus. Sin makes light of the blood of Jesus. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, 17 through 19, NIV. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish or spot. So live your life how? On this earth? In godly, reverential fear. Why? Because the cost. Because of the price that Jesus had to pay to redeem us from our sin. He shed his blood. Now look at this. Look at the Hebrews 10. For if we deliberately keep on sinning, notice the language. In other words, it's not saying, okay, you have a problem with this, have a problem with it. It's talking about someone who is in sin, who knows they're in sin and continues to live in sin and, and thinks that that doesn't matter because my sins are forgiven. After we've received the knowledge of the truth, doesn't he say he wants us to come to the knowledge of the truth? Entering into the revelation of the knowledge of the truth. If we keep on sinning deliberately after we receive knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot who is treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the spirit of what? You see, that mentality insults the spirit of grace. Spirit of grace doesn't teach us libertarianism. All my sins are forgiven, doesn't matter how I live. Spirit of grace says, the blood was shed for your redemption. Live a life that's godly, holy, righteous, and do everything you possibly can to keep your flesh under. Resist the devil so he flees from you. And don't fall in love with the world. Remember he talks in 1 John 2 about the world. Eyes of the flesh. Uh, lust of the flesh. Love the eye, lust of the eyes, flesh, and pride of life. You, you see what God is doing. He's preparing us for this new awakening. He's awakening us for this revival. And this pouring out of his spirit. Malachi. We'll close it right here in Malachi. It's the refiner's fire that's coming. It's the refinery. That's where it starts. Look at Malachi. Look at what it says. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. God's fire is falling. And the purpose of it is to purge and purify. Our God is a consuming fire and it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God, right? So it would benefit all of us to invite the refiner's fire here and now. Because one day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, every single one of us, and we have to pass the test of what? You're not as enthusiastic as I think you should be. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. <laughs> no one's perfected. That is not the point. 
We're not here. We're not legalists. We're not there, libertarian. We're here. We need the grace of God to march us down the straight and narrow. And every time we miss the mark, we thank God for the blood that sanctifies us and cleanses us from any unrighteous act. Can you say amen to that? We don't purposefully live in, uh, live in known sin knowing that God detests this and it hurts God. And also, what does it do? Minimizing the efficacy of the blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can keep me on that path? Listen to this. 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light, it's easy in the light. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Did you hear that? I'm going to say it again. If we walk in the light, it's easy in the light. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Wait a minute. If we're walking in the light, why do we have a need of cleansing? We're walking in the light. Because you see, he knows our frame. In other words, as you choose to walk in the light of what you know, there is a waterfalls of the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all the things we don't know, our shortcomings, our faults, our failures, our attitudes, whatever we've done, said, whatever. Aren't you glad, praise God, when you make a decision that you're going to walk on this path with God? There is a cleansing flow of the blood of Jesus Christ that covers everything that I do wrong. You better stand up and praise him for that one. But if you sin, confess it. Identify with it. He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Can you say amen? Thank God for the refiner's fire. Are you ready for it? Lift your hand to heaven and say, let it fall on me. Purge me. Cleanse me. Shape me. Form me. Mold me into the person you want me to be. I give it all to you, Jesus. Hallelujah. To control the tongue, the thoughts, the attitudes, characters our character, whatever. Let that fire fall on me. Let this fuller soap cleanse me. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Our most powerful motivation to deal with sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the awful price for sin. We should run from it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah.